It's WKX on the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Time for a weekly segment with the New Hampshire Bulletin. This week, reporter Ethan DeWitt's back. Welcome. Glad to be back. All right, so let's start off with standardized testing, something that uh, seems supremely boring to those that aren't in the education industry, but is very important to any teachers or students in high school, uh, those seeking post-secondary education. My personal experience, I'm a staffer at the University of New Hampshire's Law School, so I got some experience with some of that. But what's uh, the state looking to do to make sure students are ready for it? Sure, so the state has a big pot of money um, as has sort of been the theme the last two years that has come from the federal government. Um, one portion of that money is designed for schools and specifically for uh, you know anything that is related to the pandemic or also can deal with learning loss. And so one thing that the state is hoping to spend some of that pot of money is on a virtual tutoring service that every child in, every student in the state, whether they're homeschooled or in a public school or in a non-public school could access. So the state's looking to spend $4.8 million um, to contract with TPR Education. Uh, They're the owners of the Princeton Review. If you've ever had to take a standardized test, you probably uh, bought one of their books at one point. Um, And so they, 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 run a website called um, tutor.com and basically the state would pay for um, tutoring for students for the SAT, the ACT, and also the ASVAB, which is the Armed Service Vocational Aptitude Battery. Um, And so it it would just, it would last actually quite a long time until 2025 um, at the earliest, but then it would have the option for two one-year extensions. Couldn't go all the way into 2027. Um, And this again would be a virtual service under the contract should the executive council approve it. um, The, um, the, company would have to would be required to provide this tutoring 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Yeah, that 24 hours a day, seven days a week is really important, especially if you're talking. uh, Big thing that comes to mind is accessibility for populations where maybe the student is working while they're also in school. It's not always accessible to be able to just take a an after school session if you got to go work at the uh, local restaurant or something like that. Yeah, sure. And then there's there's other options uh, that, are, that includes there are writing reviews and those can either be live in person, um, sort of, uh, you know, not in person, but, but virtually, but but kind of simultaneous yeah. or they can be, uh, you know, a delay where you might submit it and then get feedback on it later. So there are options um, for that, for sure. Um, but it does this does come as standardized tests have kind of endured a lot of whiplash in the last few years. Uh, So actually, University of New Hampshire was ahead of this trend. In 2019, the University of New Hampshire made standardized testing optional. Uh, It did not make it a requirement, dropped that requirement. And then the pandemic hit. And then you saw universities and colleges across the country, from Ivy Leagues to state universities, dropping the requirement for standardized testing. given that obviously schools were disrupted um, and it there's also been you know well before the pandemic there have been kind of rising concerns with whether it's really the appropriate way to screen students uh, who are coming into college uh, there's you know a lot of um, strong arguments that it disadvantages low-income students and um, students of color who don't have the same opportunities for this kind of, this kind of tutoring so it's interesting to see okay the state um, you know assuming the executive council approves it on Wednesday, um, the state 
uh, has is pursuing this tool that would equalize it at the same time as universities are kind of turning away from this. Um, so 2020 was when most universities dropped the requirement. Um, I'm not exactly sure right now where that stands. I, I know that some universities are, are kind of considering whether that's a long-term decision or not. Um, but I should also note that even though the it's no longer a requirement a lot of a lot of colleges and universities a lot of students will likely want to take the standard take it. it's, a, it's a great data point if you're a middle of the road student or you don't necessarily have the extracurriculars but you've scored amazing on the sat or the act of course yeah. you're going to put it you'd be crazy not to put it in there because it's going to be a data point for how successful you may be yeah so i'm, I'm it's going to be interesting to see what this kind of tutoring um, what the take-up will be like, uh, again, should the Executive Council approve this this week, um, because the reporting that I've kind of looked at um, when it comes to who is submitting the SATs is it tends to be wealthier students, um, given that the, that most colleges and universities have dropped the requirement for now. So whether that continues or whether a, a program that is accessible to every student, um, it's every student who is in the sixth grade level or higher uh, would be eligible for this. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to be if, if again, if this gets approved, I'll be watching to see um, kind of how widely it's used and, you know, whether this trend, at least from higher ups to turn away from the SATs and the ACTs and standardized testing in general, whether that is borne out among students, too. Yeah, it standardized testing is, is definitely been I, this was back when i was in high school i graduated from high school in 2006 it was even being discussed back then like is the best way to handle it but the the bet i think a great case study for people that want to consider it is the law school ecosystem because they it is basically across the board you need to take a standardized test in order to go in there the university of new hampshire franklin pierce school of law where i work is my full-time job full disclosure once again is you either have to take the lsat law school standard blah, 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 test or the GRE which is the alternate one which we recently added the GRE is seen as kind of a less intense version of the LSAT um, and that score is used to whether you what school what selection of schools you're ever going to make it into they immediately cut you out there are basically it's across the board with law schools would do that thing is with law schools is they live and breathe the US news in world report than almost any other <laughs> uh, industry in, in the country and they also in turn have post-graduation bar passage so they have two levels of required tests they have to do so they after students graduate they have to pay for bar prep courses for that summer after graduation in order to pass the bar to even practice law so with uh -huh. them it's a, it's a great example of we can tell there's data out there in the law school industry to say that if they don't score well on the LSAT and then they make it through educate the the whole JD. They're less likely to be able to pass the bar and be able to practice. I, hmm. Like I, I'd imagine there's other industries like healthcare and such where maybe there's a, an accreditation test that they got to do after graduation, where they really should be careful about getting rid of that standardized entry test because guess what? In one to four years, they're going to have to take another test that's even more high stakes for them. Sure. And yeah, and I think that the trends that we've seen during the pandemic have not really extended to grad school. I mean, I don't think there's many medical schools that are are waving the MCAT, for instance. Um, so I, I think that, that that those are really interesting points for especially if you're going into more specialized fields that require, um, you know, more certification that sometimes it is a useful skill to learn 
how to take standardized tests like yeah. that. I think yeah. I think the you know law profession is a good example of that. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be going to IT and you want to do certifications and stuff, I mean, you you got to get used to taking tests. Like, in uh, we get a little, uh, it's kind of a joke nowadays, a little bit with some higher higher education, the way they handle testing and such, and they get a little flaky on it. But I mean, when when you get into the real world, it, you, you got to know your stuff, otherwise you're you're not making it far. <laughs> All right, move over to zoning. Your your editor is working, you guys. Here, it seems like every week uh, you and Marie or Amanda have these huge articles coming out on various subjects, and you were up to bat with zoning. Uh, what brought uh, this this up? Yeah, so it's hard to really make. Uh, something exciting uh, that includes the word zoning. I'm going to try my best. The state, the, the, the lawmakers um, and the governor um, you know, passed a uh, package of reforms. It didn't go quite as far as some wanted them to, but there are quite a lot of reforms to the state zoning law. And this comes at a time, we've talked about this countless times, about the need for more housing. Uh, and there was sort of a scene to, uh, there was, a need that was seen to both accelerate the processes that zoning and planning boards, which are generally called land use boards, you know, every town has a different process, um, but to accelerate those those approvals or at least accelerate decisions uh, so that, you know, developers are um, waiting in limbo, things aren't, aren't caught up there. So we, there's been a few things throughout the years. We now have a housing appeals um, board, which is, uh, a, a, you know, a big development for the state. But this summer, uh, a, a big package of those um, passed, and now towns and cities have until August 23rd to essentially uh, get ready. Uh, that's when the bulk of these new reforms take effect. Uh, so there's a lot of them. Um, you know, again, I mentioned quicker deadlines. Um, so the zoning boards now have 90 days to make a decision on an application unless a, an applicant agrees to an extension. Um, that's that's new. Uh, there's requirements for more transparency. So the zoning boards and the planning boards and the land use boards have to post the fees, the permitting fees outside in a public place. That wasn't actually required until this law. Um, and a, a big one is that when they make decisions, they have to act like a court of law in some ways, like, a, like the way that the Municipal Association has described it as, as a quasi-judicial body. Essentially, they have not been required to issue detailed written findings for why a certain development might have been turned down. Um, and these findings can often be appealed up to the Superior Court, um, these decisions, I should say. And so the fact there aren't written findings can be frustrating when you try to bring an appeal if you're a developer. Uh, so there, this new law requires that there be written findings and the extent to which a town has to include uh, written findings and a, basically an explanation for why they turn it down is dependent on how controversial the project was to begin with. If it was an easy decision in one way or another um, and there wasn't really no interaction, then it, they don't need to put as much. If it is something that brought out you know, hundreds of people to a Thursday night hearing, uh, then that is something that the um, board, whether it's the planning board or the zoning board is, is going to have to um, um, be attentive to. And the law actually 
actually builds in a require a, a, a bit of a stick into the carrot, which is that if the town, if the if a board fails to release the written findings of fact, it could be grounds for automatic reversal in superior oh, court. So wow. you have to really that's, be yeah. that's intense. And that can really be a that could be a big game changer, uh, you know, in some of these developments uh, where you've got all kinds of emotions and, and local considerations. So that is a really big stick in the middle of this of this law that is going to require a lot of these municipalities and towns to brush up on how best to explain their decisions. Um, I think, uh, you know, people, the supporters of this law uh, and housing advocates say this is a really good development, um, you know, this particular written piece. Uh, because it, you know, does provide standards, but at the same time, it's worth noting that there are a lot of planning board members who, you know, got elected but may not have uh, any background in, uh, you know, law or anything that might be useful that to create these kinds of decisions. So they're all having to brush up, like I said, and there's going to be trainings. Um, just to go through a few more things that are in this new law, there is a requirement that. Um, you offer in the town the same incentives for housing for older people as you do to workforce development. So if you have, there's a lot of towns that have, that have, that have uh, in their ordinances, there might be waivers, there might be, uh, you know, less requirements, uh, kind of waiving the density requirements that apply to everyone else for, for, for older person's housing. As of next year, this doesn't actually take effect until next July. July 2023, uh, the, anything you put as a standard for a uh, and as an exemption or, or a loophole or whatever for um, older persons housing must also apply to workforce housing. And the idea is that, you know, it's the towns can often be selective and kind of what housing they want. And a, there's a bias against workforce housing across New Hampshire. And now if you're going to provide incentives to one group, you have to provide incentives to the workforce housing group, too. So towns have until July next year to implement that that means that at town meeting next year we could see some towns um, decide to open up their zoning laws to allow workforce housing we could also potentially see towns um, put in warrants that would actually close it off and say okay well we're going to take away all these incentives for everybody because we'd rather that then and you know have to include more housing. So there are a lot of things in here. Um, there's also new investment opportunities. Uh, I don't want to go into what a tax increment financing district is, but for anyone who knows what that is, it basically is a way. It's a it's a way to you to offset um, tax revenues, kind of use future tax revenues in a development to pay for the development upfront. And I'm oversimplifying it um, extremely here, but that's another that's a new tool that towns can use, and they can also. Expand their use of what's what is public use, um, the, like the definition of public use uh, when it comes to acquiring new land. So there's a lot here. There are tools they can use, and there's also requirements that they have to follow. And all of this, most of this, is coming on August 23rd. Wow. The big thing for me, listening to you describe that, and I've had conversations with Jeff Feingold at the Business Review, you over at the Bulletin, uh, a couple of reporters over at uh, the Grand State Media Collaborative when it comes to this, is transparency is not the, the norm when it comes to this. And it takes deep reporting on uh who who's in charge like the bureaucratic nightmares that can come the good old boys attitude the businesses that just don't want to let other businesses come in it, it can be a really dirty business that takes decades to make substantial change and if there's transparency out there in the court people can actually appeal these decisions through the superior court could possibly 
actually open up some doors in the state that we desperately need for housing to be developed. Yeah. And again, um, I think the written findings part, again, if you think of it as, you know, a a ruling from a court, that's sort of what the state right now and what the New Hampshire Municipal Association is encouraging towns to think of themselves, planning boards think of themselves a court. It's interesting when this came up, it was a big Q&A. There was a webinar that I I watched with 400 um, participants. That's a lot of participants uh, across the state. That's basically means like almost every town um, was represented, if not every town. And uh, in that Q&A, one one attendee asked whether they could have the applicant um, just detail the the written, the, the, the findings of fact to put into the ultimate decision and just provide that to the planning board and then the planning board would print that. That obviously raises, you know, if you were to do that in a court of law, that would be sort of outrageous to have, uh, you know, one party d- decide what all the facts are. Um, so there's a lot of catch up that I think that the, some of these town planning boards, and I should say that the Missile Association um, was very clear that that would, that would be maybe technically allowed to, to ask the developer, can you provide us the written facts here? Um, but it's much better for them to establish themselves and to establish a reason for um, why the uh, development was turned down. I think that alone, just the fact that there has to be a, a, a written out reason could discourage some of the more opaque decisions yes. where you see something come out of, come show up and then all of a sudden, nope, it's gone. And, you know, it was a quick vote and they move on. I think that this is going to be something that will make um, boards have to consider. And, you know, there are good reasons to turn something down, but they have to then elaborate on them. And I'd imagine in the long run, it's also going to help with um, people that want to analyze the data to see what's going on, what trends there are, what sorts of towns want to expand versus want to close up. And honesty, when it comes to towns, like just say you want to be closed off and say you don't have economics as your priority. You just want to have your your little town. That's fine. It's perfectly legal to do that. You, you are allowed to have a town with very strict zoning laws. But be straightforward on it. Don't claim you want to add in different things and encourage a Main Street redevelopment if you're if you're not going to open up your 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 town to have such businesses sign up. Definitely, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how everyone reacts to this. I want to see the numbers. I want to see. I want to see what the some of these towns are, are charging. That's a big thing. I, I can see Ethan wanting to, uh, to start dig up too. Is what these these different towns are doing, and if they know that hey, Amazon wants to put a warehouse in. Oh look, all of a sudden those rates went way up, and it, it's it's in their best interest to do it because they 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 know that they have the land for it. Sure. And I should say there's a lot of stick in here, but there's a lot of carrot on the other end. There's a uh, $100 million housing program that we've talked about a lot, the Investment New Hampshire program. Some of that includes money for towns to demolish dilapidated buildings. Some of it includes money for them to um, hire consultants to change their zoning laws. So really, this is an opportunity, I think, and we'll just see how many towns actually go for it. I think that I think the combination of this law and this this new funding means there are a lot of opportunities this year to see more housing development and the question is um if anyone will actually go for it and that's kind of the eternal question in the state reporter ethan dewitt of the new hampshire bulletin thanks for joining me glad to be on
Be sure to check out NewHampshireBulletin.com to get all the rest of their articles, including his. We only managed to touch upon two articles. The first one was supposed to be short, but I, I was all riled up about it, including talking about uh, training for workshops for paraprofessionals that the state's launching, uh, as well as de- data around uh, depression anxiety being on the rise here in the state with children. So definitely be sure to check all that out, and be sure to check out NHTalkRadio.com to get the podcast version of this show and all the rest of our great shows here at WKX. It's WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. We'll be right back after this.